As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbours and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him? Since he opened, he has opened your eyes. He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight, until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son? who you say was born blind, how then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, He is of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? 
And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshipper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and will you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Aren't we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you see, say we see, your guilt remains. Uh, a few weeks ago, we were at home, uh, it was the evening, it was dark, and the fuse on our light um, suddenly flicked. We were plunged into complete darkness, and uh, we sort of floundered around for a bit, and we made our way uh, along to where the, the fuse box is. And we opened the door, and uh, this, is, uh, this is what we saw, which is um, not very helpful. Um, <laughs> we had in front of us uh, the fuse box, and uh, you've got to flick one of the switches, which one's it going to be, feels a little bit uh, scary. And so we did what I imagine any of you would do in that situation. You went and you pulled out uh, the torch that you have somewhere and uh, you switched it on. And this is what we saw. And everything was fine. Uh, no one got hurt. No one got electrocuted. The light came back on. It's a very simple point, really. Uh, light gives sight. That's the point. Light gives sight. Light can also blind. Ever thought about that? I came out this morning, came across the road, and a beautiful sunny day, and the sun is in the sky, and of course it gives light to everything. That's how we can see everything, because of the light of the sun. And yet, try and look at the sun for too long, and it will blind Light gives sight, but light can also blind. We're in John 9. Please uh, turn it open if you've lost your page. Uh, 1079, we're going to follow it through. And Jesus says in verse 5, I am the light of the world. Now, he's already said that back in chapter 8, verse 12. He said he is the light. That means only he can help us to see. And here in this chapter, he does a sign to prove that he's the light. 
He gives physical sight, light, to a man born blind, a man who's been living in darkness all of his life. But he also gives spiritual light to this guy. And that's what we see in the second half. And that's the main thing that God wants to speak to us uh, about this morning. That he wants to give us spiritual sight. And actually the punchline of the passage comes in verse 39. If you just flick over the page, the punchline is verse 39. Jesus says, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. That is true, Jesus came mainly as the saviour of the world. But what he's saying is that his very coming judges, divides people in two by their reaction to who he is. And so some don't see what life and death is all about, but they turn to Jesus the light and they see. Gloriously they see. And I would guess as I look around the room this morning and know many of you that that is the story for most of us in this room. We're Christian believers. And here's a wonderful passage to encourage us. We'll see this man's story. It's our story. But there may be a few of us who are here in the room and, and we say that we can see. We say that we can see spiritual truth without Jesus the light. We don't need the light of the world for that. And if that's us, for the few of us, Jesus has a warning for us. And so you see, light divides, Jesus divides. What do we see when we look at Jesus? Who is he? We're just going to simply trace through the, the story, but I think we'll see that that punchline, verse 39, just plays out in the story as we go through the blind man. He sees more and more and more as the story goes on spiritually, whereas the, blind, the Pharisees show their blindness more and more and more. So let's pick it up at the start, verses 1 to 7, and let's see first of all that there's the sign. There's the sign that Jesus does. Let me read verses 1 to 3. As he passed by, Jesus saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Minutes before this, people had been trying to Killed Jesus to stone him in the last verse, to extinguish, if you like, the light of the world. And now as he passes by out of the temple, Jesus sees a man and he stops. And the disciples speak the common thoughts that would have been around at, at the time, that this guy's disability was his fault, uh, or maybe his parents' fault. It's the same idea that's around today in many Eastern religions, the idea of karma. And maybe that is the idea, the only idea that this guy has ever heard, the only explanation he's ever been told for his blindness. And yet now he starts to hear a different voice in verse 3. Jesus says, that's not how it is. That's not how it is. We live in a fallen world. It's not that this guy or his parents sinned, it's just he experiences the brokenness of this fallen world. 
But Jesus goes on to say, and this must have been a reassurance for this man, that God can use this disability for his work. It has a purpose. The works of God are going to be displayed in him. But in verse 4, we, we learn that time is short for Jesus, that the clock is, is ticking. The night time of Jesus' death is always approaching in John's Gospel. And he's got to get on with God's work while he can. And so, verse 6, he, he spits into the mud. He makes a sort of a, a paste and, and, and cakes it on the man's uh, eyes. Um, I don't know why he does that. I've sort of read a couple of things. I'm, I'm not clear. I don't think anyone really uh, is. But it's really not John's main interest. His main interest is in what happens afterwards. The guy goes in verse 7. He washes in the pool of Siloam. He's sent there by Jesus. And he comes back. He washes. And he comes back seeing. John wants to focus on the fact that it happened and he wants us to know that Jesus did it. It's an extraordinary miracle. It's amazing. We might be so used to it, but think about it. This guy has never seen any of the things that are now pouring into his eyes. He sees the pool of Siloam. He sees water. He sees faces. He sees colors, blue, yellow, purple, maroon. He sees the faces of his parents for the very first time. Think about that. Think about what a moment that was for this guy. It's a stunning miracle. He has perfect vision. And he says of himself how unique it is in verse 32. He says, never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. But it's not just a miracle, not just a sort of an end in itself. It's, it's actually a sign. John uses that word later on. There are many signs that Jesus did. And signs point beyond themselves to something else. So here's a sign, silly point. There's a sign. It's a, it's a sign warning about crocodiles. It's not the crocodile. It's not a crocodile itself. It's a sign. But it points to something else. And this is the sixth sign of, of John. And this is pointing to the thing that Jesus has just recently said, that he's the light, that he's the light, that he is God, I am. And Jesus the light brings sight. He can come into any darkened life, and as simply as I just switch on the torch, as simply as I switch on the light in a darkened room, Jesus Christ can just switch on the lights of a human life spiritually, as easy as that. And the rest of the passage now helps us to see Jesus' identity. That's where we're going in the next little bit. To help us to see that this isn't just about a physical healing, but a sign about spiritual healing, spiritual realities, the meaning of life. And we're taught that through, well, next, an investigation and then a recognition. So let's come to the investigation and this investigation really takes up the, the bulk of the passage, and uh, 8 to 34, and it takes four interviews. And we'll just whiz through them in, in turn, so just keep up with the, the, the pace. The, the first interview is in verse 8, and it's with the neighbors. And uh, the neighbors and those who'd seen him before as a beggar were saying, is not this the man who used to sit and beg? 
So there's a discussion. And they established between us, yes, this is the same guy who was blind. And yes, it was Jesus who did it. Just notice something in, in passing in, in verse 11. At this point, the man calls him, um, the man called Jesus. So he, so he did it. And he says, the man called Jesus. Just flick over the page and see verse 17. By verse 17, they say, who is he? He's a bit clearer. He says he's a, he's a prophet, not just a man, he's a prophet. Uh, verse 33, um, if this man were not from God. So by this stage, he's, he's clear he's from God. And then verse 38, we'll see he worships him as God. So do you see that, that punchline that Jesus gave us? It's happening. It's happening in the passage. Those who don't see, now see. And they see more and more and more. Now the second interview is with the Pharisees. That's in verse 13. And it focuses on who Jesus is. Some say he's not from God. You know, he did this miracle on the Sabbath. Others say, well, he can't be. He can't be a sinner. You see, again, just by Jesus' very existence and his claims, that the sign is doing the job. The sign is judging and it's dividing. So verse 16, some of them saying this man is not from God. Verse 16, others saying he is there, divided. Jesus is just dividing people out by their reaction. He's saying to some, you see, you, you go over there. He's saying to others, you're blind, you go over there. It's a division. Well, the third interview in, in verse 18, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then now does he see? So here's an interview between the Jews and the man's parents. Can we just pause and just say something about that word um, Jew, the Jews there? Um, it's true that here the Jewish leaders are opposing Jesus. Um, but remember, Jesus was born a, a Jew, that the man who sees is, is, Jew, is Jewish. I say that just to make the point that there is, there is to be no place for, for sort of anti-Semitism in, in, in our approach to that word. I spoke to a man this week who um, told me that uh, he'd been bullied for his Jewish faith as he was growing up. And I said how, how awful that was and how sad that was. Christians should protect all people, including God's historic people. And yet here in verse 18, it's the Jewish leaders who don't believe, and they call the parents, and they say, look, maybe, maybe he's not actually your, your son. Maybe someone else swapped in. But the parents say, no. Uh, no, verse, uh, verse 20. He is our son. He was born blind. He sees we don't know how it happened, but we know that this is our son. And so I think there are a couple of things going on in this third interview. First of all, there's evidence. The Pharisees are trying to prove that it didn't happen. Ironically, they actually supply us with a really thorough investigation with many witnesses that it did happen. And John, who's written this down, 
2,000 years on, you and I can look at that same thorough investigation and know that we're not dealing with myths, but with historical eyewitness evidence. So there's evidence going on here. The second thing I think is happening in this third interview is fear. That the reason the parents don't trust Jesus the light, it seems at this point, is in verse 22. His parents, they say, go and, go and speak to our son. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. The Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. And it's the same today. I guess there are some today who won't follow Jesus because they're afraid that they'll be put out of their community. Uh, some of us at school, Spectrum, we, we, we think that if we started to follow Jesus, if we were known as following Jesus, then our friends at school would, would shun us. We, we fear. Others of us, we fear if we started to follow Jesus, we'd have to listen to what he says about things like marriage and, and gender. We're afraid of being outcasts. So that's the third interview. There's evidence, but there's also fear. But if only they'd learnt from their son. Because in the fourth interview, he is such an encouraging example of faith. So verse 24, in the fourth interview, the Pharisees summon the man for a second time. And he's, he's under pressure now. They, they, they open with, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. You know, they're saying, well, what about you? Where do you stand on this? And he answers, verse 25, well, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said, what, what did he do? How did he open your eyes? He says, I've told you this. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? It's cheeky. It's cheeky. Are you interested? You want to find out more? See, he's growing confidence. The more he sees, the more confident he is. He knows who Jesus is. He's now on the, on the front foot. And we're told that that's the, he's lit the touch paper. They, they revile him. They, they turn on him. The man won't go quietly. And, uh, and he says, this is an amazing thing. Verse 30, you don't know where he comes from, yet you open my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshipper of God and does his will, God listens to me. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him. You were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? And they cast him out. You see Jesus' punchline, verse 39? It's happening. It's happening. Those who don't see, they see. Spiritually, they see more and more. Jesus is not just a prophet, he's from God. But those who think they see, they confirm themselves as blind. They say, we, we can see it all. We, we, we don't need Jesus' light. We follow, we follow Moses. This guy's a nobody. And they show that they're blind by acting more and more out of their darkness. You were born in utter sin, they say. Your, your disability, it proves it. And they cast him out of the synagogue. But this man is a wonderfully encouraging example of, I think, persevering faith. 
Actually, the sort of faith Jesus spoke about back in chapter 8 last week, in verse 31, if you just flick back, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, verse 31, chapter 8, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This guy's a model of that. He abides in the word, in the truth about Jesus. He sticks with it, even when there's opposition. Oh, sure, he loses some freedom. He loses the freedom to go to the synagogue and be part of the community. But he gains the freedom. The truth really sets him free of letting all of that go for the sake of following Jesus, the light. Maybe he thought to himself something like this. Maybe he thought, do you know what? Do you know what? Even if the people of the darkness treat us people of the light really badly, I'm going to stick with Jesus. I wonder if he thought that. Maybe he said to himself, because do you know what? For all of my life, I have not been able to see at all. And this guy has given me sight. And I'm going to stick with him. This is what verse 25 says in effect. Look, I don't know much about him, but one thing I do know, I was blind and now see, and that's because of this guy. And as I said, look, most of us here, this is our story if we're believers. This is our Christian story. It encourages us, I think, not to take our spiritual sight for granted. It's a miracle if you're a Christian here that you see. It's a miracle. Praise God for it. You know, we can say, do you know what? I was spiritually blind from birth. I, I was born in, in darkness. I had no sight at all. I had no idea what life and death was all about. about. Spiritually blind. And then Jesus opened my eyes. Many of us have a story. Some of us can pinpoint a moment. Others, we just never knew a day when we didn't know uh, Jesus as we, as we grew up. And Jesus opened our eyes. And now we can say, I see. I see what life is about because of Jesus. And I'm so thankful. And we have examples of that. You know, this, this week, many of us watched the Queen's funeral. And we were, we were very, very sad. But when the Archbishop said, death is not the end. Jesus rose, we'll meet again. We who are believers, we say, I know that's true. I see that. So many in the world don't. But we see what others can't. We don't congratulate ourselves for that. We say, thank you, Jesus. You did a miracle for me. And we say as well, I think, like this man, if following Jesus and abiding in his word and the truth about him brings suffering, so be it. I'm going to stick with him because he's the one who gave me sight. So look, there's an investigation. There's evidence that it happens. There's the identity of Jesus. And then lastly, there's a division in verses 35 to 41. Remember, light can give sight, but light can also blind. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they'd cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you've seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, 
and he worshipped him. Remember, John's interested in, in evidence, in identity and belief. So three things he's got in his book. We, we saw the sign was evidence. The investigation's given us a lot of stuff about the identity. And now we get this word belief three times in this section. And John adds another word to that. He adds that uh, the man worshipped him in verse 38. It means he, he bowed down in his heart and his mind before Jesus. Maybe with his body, certainly with his life. He said, you are my Lord. Thomas does a similar thing in chapter 20. At the end, he says, my Lord and my God. But here, in fact, is the only time that someone worships Jesus in the gospel. It's a big moment. It shows us that belief isn't just a sort of belief that you intellectually tick off. Yeah, I believe these things about Jesus. It's an attitude of our lives of submission, where we say, Jesus, you're my Lord and my God. I bow before you. And if you've never done that, maybe you know that you need to. That's the heart of belief. Maybe we're Christians here. We've forgotten that that is the heart of belief. True belief is saying, I bring all of the other things in my life. I bring me and I bow them before you. You are my God. That, says John, is true belief. And in many ways, this focal um, th this little section is the focal point of recognition. It's the climax of, of the story. And some of us may have had a moment just like this when we say, I believe, we, you know, a particular day. Others of us might be hoping for, for something like this, a real breakthrough. But I just want us to notice something from back in verse 7. And just notice that this man really started to listen and obey Jesus way back then. Jesus told him to go and wash. I mean, in one sense, he was doing a ridiculous thing. And maybe this is the point of the mud. That, you know, he, he just made it worse with the mud. And then he said, go and just obey me. And like Naaman in the Old Testament, you remember that story? He just did what seemed so ridiculous. He started to obey and trust in Jesus. He did what Jesus said. And then he lived out what he knew in the rest of the verses, in the investigation. When others pushed back, he saw more and more. His was a persevering belief. He was a true disciple. And here's the thing. As he responded to Jesus, Jesus gave him more and more spiritual sight. And I think that's a help for all of us today. The more we respond and obey to Jesus, the more light he gives us. So are we here and we're Christian and we want to grow as a Christian? Well, live out what we know. He'll give us more and more spiritual sight. And if you're looking in, you want to make a start on the, the Christian life, well, start doing what Jesus says. Just live out what you understand. A friend of mine became a Christian about 30 years ago. He started believing truths about Jesus. And as he started on that journey, two things happened. First of all, he lived out what he, what he was hearing. He started to read the Bible for himself because Jesus said that was a good thing to do. He stuck with coming to church because he'd heard that Jesus said that was a good thing to do. That was the first thing that happened. The second thing, his friends started to, to shun him because he was, you know, he'd found God. Those two things. He kept going in those things. I don't think he had one clear moment where he suddenly believed some do. But he looks back now on that period of life, those two things happening. 
and he knew that he had come to believe in Jesus as the Son of God, as his Lord, and he's believing today. And so Jesus, uh, we have this climactic moment, but Jesus follows it, did you see, with the punchline of verse 39. The punchline that he's come into the world so that those who don't see can see, but those who say they see remain blind. But some see. Only he makes that happen. Only he is the light of the world. Only he gives sight so that we can see. But his coming does divide and judge. It's like this picture on the screen. You know, this, this one, what can you see? Can you see the young lady? Can you see the, the old lady? And you can look at it and it just divides. There'll be some in the room who can see both and some who, who can't. The room is divided at the moment by those who see. And you're scratching your heads. And here's, very quickly, here's the, here's the old lady. Uh, there's the other one with the young lady. Let's take it off the screen. And Charlie, otherwise we'll be distracted. You can come and look at that later. But, <laughs> but... Some see and some don't, divides the room. Jesus is like that. He divides. And so what's the, what's the take home for us today? Well, as I said, the overwhelming majority of us here would be believers. And this man's story is our story. And I think it takes us to humility and gratitude Humility, because we were spiritually blind from birth. We'd have remained in utter darkness now and into eternity unless Jesus opened our eyes. And the only reason that we see is that Jesus gave us sight. Praise him. We're going to sing in a second. I once was lost in darkest night. We're going to sing at the end. Amazing grace. I was blind, but now I see. We say, thank you, Jesus. There's no one like you. And I hope this man encourages us as well to stick with the one who gave us sight. Whatever the world throws at us as believers, we say, verse 25, with this guy, this guy I was blind, now I see. And that's because of this guy, Jesus. I'm going to stick with him. It's also an encouragement for anyone who wants to see, to, to humble ourselves and say, Jesus, I need you. Only you can open my eyes. But look, as we just come into land, there are two tricky verses at the end that have a sting in the tail. Verse 40 and 41. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Jesus addresses a group of people who say, Go on then, are you saying that we're blind as well? And Jesus seems to say that they're not. He says, if you were blind. I take it to mean that what's going on is he's saying, if you were blind like this man was, if you were blind like him, in other words, if you were blind and knew it, well, you'd know that you'd need sight. And you'd listen to me, you'd obey. And there'd be no guilt There'd be hope if you were blind like that. But you're not. You say that you see. You say, I can see without Jesus, thank you very much. I have spiritual truth about God and life and death. I don't need Jesus, the light of the world. Thank you very much. And Jesus says to that person, it's not just that the darkness remains, but your guilt remains as well. 
You're guilty of rejecting God's Son. That's the source of all darkness. It comes because we reject Jesus the light. Jesus put it like this in chapter 3. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. We're very much like those little animals when you pull up a rock and the light pours in and the creatures run off, scuttle off into the darkness. And there may be just a few of us here who need to hear that warning. The longer that we say that we see without needing Jesus, the more we prove our blindness. And Jesus would urge us to say, actually, I need you, Jesus, to give me sight. Please give me sight.